Welcome to Canine Nation. It's Sunday, June 30th, 2019. This is episode 143. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. This is Eric Brad. When it comes to training my dogs, there's nothing I like better than some really good advice. And lately, there has been a movement in professional dog training circles that I find to be really good advice. There are some new training guidelines being considered by some of the most prestigious organizations in the world for professional dog trainers and dog training. These new frameworks are aimed at creating a more cooperative approach to training our dogs. Unlike the old compulsive methods that were aimed at getting our dogs to comply with what we are trying to get them to do, these new protocols look for ways to get our dogs to work with us and to teach them the behaviors that we're asking for. They borrow a lot from psychology and learning theory. Organizations like the Association of Professional Dog Trainers, the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants, and the Certification Council for Professional Dog Trainers have all adopted something called LIMA. That's an acronym that stands for training that is least intrusive and minimally aversive to the animal. There are lots of great advantages to looking at that kind of approach to dog training. Not only is it more fun and cooperative, it also sets both the trainer and the learner up for more success. It's an approach that seemingly came along with my learning mark and reward training so many years ago. All of the elements were there, and I'm delighted to see that so many of these new organizations are advocating for this kind of training. One of the most important things that training this way has taught me is to have goals that stretch beyond the immediate behavior I'm training at the moment. I'm trying to teach my dog not only how to perform a behavior, but how to learn and how to enjoy the process. But while this least intrusive, minimally aversive approach seeks to be kinder to our dogs, I think it's important not to lose sight of being effective when we train. Too often in dog training circles, I see a great deal of focus on showing our dogs kindness and compassion, and not a lot of time talking about how to be the most effective teachers. I think there's a way to do both, and I explore those possibilities in my essay, Is Kindness Enough for Effective Dog Training? One of the ideas that is rapidly gaining popularity in dog training especially in progressive dog training circles, is to preserve the dog's power of choice and their ability to have some control over the learning process. LIMA, or Least Intrusive, Minimally Aversive Training, is an approach to working with dogs that focuses on this more cooperative approach to training. It attempts to avoid unnecessarily subjecting the dog to things they may find unpleasant or threatening. While I think this is an excellent framework for training with our dogs, much of the discussion on the Lima approach in the dog training world often leaves out a crucial element that trainers should be considering. Any dog training needs to be effective. By that, I mean that we need to actually be able to see a change in the dog's behavior 
toward the behavior that we're trying to teach? Is the animal learning? If we can put all of the science of behavior and animal learning together with the art of reading and understanding our dogs, we arrive at what I would call optimally effective training. In my view, it is important to add that criteria of effectiveness to the Lima approach. Call it least intrusive, minimally aversive, and optimally effective training. Humans have been teaching dogs for centuries. We have also selectively bred dogs to produce the most cooperative and intelligent working partners. But when it comes to how we measure the success of our training efforts with our dogs, it seems that we can be remarkably simplistic in determining how effective our training has been. Back when I first learned to train dogs in the 1980s, success was determined by the dog's timely response to a cue and really no more. When I said sit, I expected the dog to sit. If so, job done, good training. But dogs are not simple machines that can be programmed to perform a series of actions in response to our cues. If that were true, it would be a simple matter of getting the information into the dog's head and we're done. But anyone who has owned a dog knows that this cue-response model just doesn't work as simply as that. We need a better way to determine how well we have trained our dogs that looks beyond just the results of the current moment. If we look beyond just, does my dog do what I ask, there are more things to consider when evaluating how well trained a dog is. In my own training, I use a few guidelines to determine how well my dogs have learned a given task. This is by no means a definitive list, but I think most good dog trainers have a similar list based around similar ideas. The first is fluency. Does my dog clearly understand what I was trying to teach? I want my dog to be responsive when I give a cue for a behavior, but that also means that they must have enough experience doing the behavior that they are not easily confused or distracted from the behavior when I ask for it. This is sometimes called generalization. The dog is fluent enough to perform the behavior in a variety of environments or situations. The second is durability. A behavior is durable when my dog will give me the correct behavioral response regardless of whether or not I provide any kind of feedback or consequence. Durability is an indication of how willing the dog is to perform that behavior on cue. It can be affected by a number of different things, like the history of rewards for that particular behavior, or reprimands for noncompliance in some forms of training, how interesting or rewarding the behavior is naturally, and so on. Another important aspect is engagement. How eager is my dog to attend to and respond to my cues? Some trainers will call this focus or interest, but engagement is the level to which my dog finds what I'm asking to be more interesting than other options in the environment. A more esoteric idea is conceptuality. Has my dog learned a larger concept behind the given behavior? Leave it is a good example of conceptual learning in that my dog is taught not to leave a specific thing alone, but to not advance on any object after hearing the cue leave it. The concept is to hold back and not act on the previous impulse. The same applies to stay or wait 
in that my dog learns the concept of refraining from movement. Dogs learning nose work or scent detection learn the concept of match to sample or find me one of this type of thing when they go to search for an odor. Finally, utility. Does my dog have the ability to use what they have previously learned to help them learn new things? This is something that behaviorist Stuart Hilliard calls a transfer of learning. An example of this would be that my dog can learn to sit when she finds an object that she was sent to search for, or that she will do a down on a table in an agility exercise. A behavior that was previously learned for a different purpose is now applied in a new way and is learned more quickly. So if I have trained my dog to sit using all of these criteria on the list, she should be able to do the following. Sit anywhere I ask her to and respond promptly when cued. She is fluent. Her response to my sit cue should be the same five years from now as it is today. Her learning has been durable over time. She should be interested and happy when I ask her to sit and should perform the behavior happily without showing any signs of reluctance or concern. She is engaged. My dog should have learned that she can use what she does with her body as an appropriate response to a cue. If sitting can be a correct response, other physical actions like down or lift a paw could also be worth offering in the future. She has learned the concept of physical responses. In training, I should be able to use the sit behavior as a starting point for teaching additional behaviors, like down, or to teach her to stand on her hind legs. The original sit behavior has utility and can be used to teach my dog other things. As I see it, all of these things are connected. A focus on making our training optimally effective cannot be done without consideration of the other aspects of the Lima approach. We must look for the least intrusive way to teach, and whatever protocol we choose should be minimally aversive. Each aspect affects the others. The idea of least intrusive gets to making things easier for the animal. The more intrusive a training approach is, the more difficult it will be for the dog to work out what is being asked for, and that can affect engagement and inhibit fluency. Similarly, the idea of minimally aversive gets to making the activity more attractive to the dog so they will be more interested in it, and that can affect their interest in learning the concepts involved as well as improving their engagement. This also leads to greater fluency and durability. Being more attentive to how effective my training is with my dog does not mean that I lose sight of these other aspects of the Lima approach. In fact, it allows me to have a clearer picture of how these least intrusive and minimally aversive approaches can enhance my dog's learning and increase the effectiveness of my training. It's a simple fact that a trainer can use the Lima approach with a dog and teach them exactly nothing. After all, for some dogs, the least intrusive, minimally aversive approach might be to leave that dog alone to do whatever it was they were doing but we have to acknowledge that we would like to see a change in the dog's behavior. And that's going to involve changing things, and my dog might find that intrusive or aversive. So, it becomes a balance. 
it's possible for me to focus so much on results, on the effectiveness, that I end up not caring enough about how intrusive or aversive my training feels to the dog. But would an approach like that really achieve the training goals that I'm looking for? I might get my dog to sit faster right now, but have I made her less willing to engage with me over time? Will she be less willing to sit in the future or in different situations? Have I turned her off to learning more than just to comply with a handful of behaviors? It's interesting to me that in the rush to become more humane trainers, a deeper discussion about whether or not our dogs are really learning better seems to be getting missed. It was an overemphasis on short-term results that created training methods that frustrated and confused both the dogs and the humans during training. Not exactly ideal. In light of this new movement toward making our dogs more comfortable and eager learners, perhaps it's time to reevaluate and redefine what success is when we talk about good dog training. Is it just the speed of the response in a narrow time frame for a particular set of behaviors? Is it just about not making our dogs uncomfortable? Or is there a larger context that we should be looking at? Least intrusive, minimally aversive is a great place to start, not just because it's kind and humane. For me, it actually lays the foundation for my dog to be a better learner. The Lima Protocol allows me to achieve the deeper and more important goals I have for training with my dogs. I try to teach my dogs to be fluent, durable, and engaged conceptual learners who are capable of building on the utility of what they have already learned throughout their lives with me. I want to be optimally effective when teaching my dogs. I want my dogs to learn new behaviors easily, quickly, and to enjoy the process. I think it's important to use that least invasive, minimally aversive approach. Should we be concerned with the results? Yes. Should we be concerned about more than just getting what we want right now? I think that's something worth considering. It may just make the difference between good training and great training. If you enjoy these podcasts, why not drop by our website at caninenation.ca and you'll find dozens more to listen to. While you're at it, perhaps click on the donate button and offer us a dollar or five or whatever you'd like to give to help support the podcast and help us keep the lights on. Or you can support the podcast by spreading the word on social media or leaving us a review on iTunes. I'd love to hear feedback from you about the podcast. If you have any comments, stories, or questions, you can email me at talk2 at caninenation.ca. That's talk and the number two at caninenation.ca. I look forward to your comments. Canine Nation is also on Facebook. You can find our Canine Nation page where we post information about the latest articles, podcasts, and news about Canine Nation events. We also have a discussion group, the Canine Nation Forum. It's a place to discuss the podcast, the Canine Nation essays, life with dogs, and training our dogs or just to share some information we found around the internet. Thank you for listening. I'd appreciate it if you'd share this with the dog people in your life. I guess that's all for now. Until next time, have fun with your dogs. <laughs>